The theme for the uh, evening talk is the light that reveals. It would appear at the first glance that we are making a journey through uh, life, beginning with birth, engaging a range and variety of various uh, activities, then ceasing to be, the life uh, finishing, some great possible uh, unknowns subsequent to it. And this view, generally conceived of, is the one that gains most credence, most acceptance amongst human beings. So we're participating, engaging in a world with the idea that's accompanying it of continuity of being. Various expressions of becoming, I'll become this, I'll become that, I'll become this, I won't become this, I won't become that. And then that being, as it were, the human being, the human becoming, arrives at a place or a point in time where it all uh, ceases to be and therefore there is the cessation, the extinction of all that is known and familiar, whether or not there is anything after to that. And it would seem from our perceptions of each other, from the world that we're living in, living in this is somehow how things really are. And sometimes with a meditative awareness, with a contemplative attention to things, we may find ourselves seriously and beneficially having some doubt about continuity arriving at a place of complete and utter discontinuity. And when you and I give our attention to the present, to the here and now, then of course the whole idea and the construction in which we believe in is one of seeing and noticing as part of our practice that continuity and discontinuity is actually happening extraordinarily frequently and it's going on from one moment to the next. So for the very arising of this moment, it can only possibly arise with the death of the last one. And the death of this very moment and all that participated in it, for it to cease, there can only be the arising of the next one. So somehow or other, we have grasped on to a convention, to an idea, to a thought of continuity and then discontinuity. But what would happen to our consciousness if, rather than saying, well, that's how things are, in fact, continuity, discontinuity is truly and genuinely going on from one moment to the next, and it's going on in such a way that any grasping after any, any moment renders us foolish, caught up, misperception, because we've got out of tune with this unfolding, as it were, moment-to-moment existence. So birth and death, coming and going, is constantly uh, taking place for us, And would it be that if we're really in tune and in harmony with that, and we really understand that well, then the whole notion of continuity through life, then sudden discontinuity, actually seems rather meaningless 
to the point that it doesn't seem to be really true that this is how things are. It's an assumption that we've taken on board and repeated ourselves and repeated to others um, again and again. And it's not as though you and I will ever know anything but this. It's not as though you and I, when the end of our life comes, we're going to say, oh my God, it's all over, it's finished. So all that we know and all that is familiar to us is our capacity as men and women on this earth to shed light on what is revealed and to see what that is and what can be shown and discovered and realized about it. And this is what I want to talk to you about. It would appear, and the word appearance here is important, it's conventional, it's agreeable, it seems how things are, we get an assumption about it. And one of the conventional agreements that we have is that this world that we live in is full of objects, just chock-a-block full of objects. And that those objects do show themselves to us, to our uh, life, through what manifests through our eyes, ears, nose, tongue and touch. And we say, oh, I see this, and I hear that, and I smell this, and I taste that, and I touch this, and I touch that, and say, oh, these are all objects. And the objects is what is revealed, and there is something that which is revealing all these objects. Yet, extraordinarily, I can, as it were, look within, and I can reveal objects within. I can reveal these objects which I call thoughts, I can reveal these objects which I call states of mind, these objects which are called emotions arising, these objects which are called uh, insights and daydreams and fantasies and memories. They are all objects of the attention. And just as sights and sounds, smells, tastes and touch keep coming to consciousness, having an effect on us, some of them invited, we've looked for them, we've wanted them, we've pursued them, we've gain them, touched by them. Some of them unwelcome, unwanted, unexpected, but have still entered into our consciousness. And some unexpected and welcome, happy, delighted, out of the blue. So we find ourselves living in a world of objects called sight, sounds, etc. Living in an inner world of objects called feelings, thoughts, memories, ideas, insights, realizations, keep coming to us, the consciousness, keep arriving, and we say, some of these are welcome. We pursued them, we wanted them, they've arrived, we've really made that contact with him, her, this, that, whatever, that we have wished. Some of them are unwelcome, unwanted, and we have to work with those and look at those which are of that order, of that dimension. And there are those which were not sought for, not pursued, yet have arrived, and there's a delight, there's a sweetness, there's a mystery, there's a wonder, there's a joy in those arrivals in our consciousness through any of the senses, and as well through the inner life. So we find ourselves as oneself, as the subject, appearing as consciousness, being conscious, and an engagement with this inner world, feelings, thoughts, moods, states of mind, and engaging with the outer world, sights and sounds, which is coming to us 
wanted and unwanted and mysteriously unexpectedly. You say, wow, this is life. This is what I'm living through. This is what I'm experiencing. And then I see myself as a human being. Some of these I, I, I prefer. I would like to have as a human being more of this, called the mysterious and the wonderful, and what I pursued and succeeding, and much less of the other, which is the unwelcome and the unwanted and the unexpected, uh, which has borne fruit for us. But I can't quite live like that. I can't ensure that there is a maximization of what I want and the minimization of what I don't want, because life doesn't respect it. It's not interested in the wants. It would bypass them again and again. Because if you and I, as women and men on the earth, could succeed with what we want, surely we've lived long, long enough by now to have got it and be thoroughly happy. <laughs> then we wouldn't need Spirit Rock. <laughs> so this movement, this stance, this activity, this engagement with life gives us the view, and this is important here, it gives us the view, ah, reality is about subject and object. That's the reality. I am the human being abiding on this earth as the subject. I'm not only having to deal with all these changing objects, some more slowly and some more quickly than the others, but I'm also having to deal with the fact that my consciousness, that means being conscious, is also changing. I've got to face the actuality that this consciousness is sometimes very conscious, interested, energized, energetic, uh, receptive, open and connected. And I appreciate that. appreciate my capacity as a human being to see, to observe, to really notice this range and variety of objects. And I wish to engage with some of them. The number that you and I will pick out, whether it's sentient or non-sentient, whether it's inner or outer, out of the number of objects which there are is going to be extraordinarily few. Think how many impressions, how many objects come to your eyes and ears every day. Think how, how much comes to your inner life, the multiple number of feelings and thoughts and moods, etc. And huge amount of all of that diversity that arrives, we don't have any interest in. We barely notice it, like a little patch of color running across the eyes sometimes, an odd sound. We never remember any of it. But a few out of this multiple nature of diversity does land. Where? How? Why is it that in this huge variety of countless, as the, as the, uh, the Buddha Dharma world will have said, in this world of uh, 10,000 things, or this world of 84,000 things, or this world of 108,000 things, 108 billion million things, some of it lands. Some of it touches us. Some of it has some regularity of touching us, either from the past or from the present or with regard to the future. This relationship to what lands, to what makes an impact, shapes the life. It makes our life. Out of all that's possible, we select a few things that makes up our life. It makes up ourself. It makes up who am I? Who is this person? This person is shaped by the object. 
feelings, thoughts, sights, sounds, smells. We are made by the object because the consciousness has entered into a magnetic and somewhat compelling relationship with it. And this becomes the identity. With the identity comes the fear. Non-identity. Gone. Continuity and death. And it seems so prevalent. It seems so uh, obvious. It seems so uh, sincerely believing this is the way things are. We've got so used to it. Why? Because we've made a habit. And we actually believe and think we are the consciousness, that, which is the subject. There are all these objects impacting upon us. And we live in that bubble. Liberation is breaking that bubble. It's the, it's the movement out of it. But how are we going to do that? Because at first glance it would appear, but that's all I know. I only know who I am, my, who, I, or who I think I am, by my consciousness and its relationship with my own feelings and thoughts and its relationship with what's around me. And that's who I know. That's, that, that makes me up, that this is this person, whoever I call myself. So what would be a shift? What would be, what would be some kind of change? Where, where would the attention and the interest have to go if there's going to be a shift which is not only liberating, which gets us in touch with the truth of things, and which in somehow or other we get a sense of what seeing things as they are really mean? Surely the wonder of life, the, 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 the majesty and the, 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 the magnificence of it, is not the object. It's the capacity of consciousness to shed light on it. The fact that consciousness exists and abides on this earth and it has the function to reveal. And without the consciousness, it can't reveal what we call sight, sound, smells, taste, touch. It can't reveal feelings, thoughts, moods. Unless there is the consciousness to reveal it. So what is revealed is brought together, is harmonized, is, is, is come to, comes together, not because the objects are so different, but because they meet somewhere. And the meeting place is in consciousness. So what's our huge error as a human being? We've misplaced the appropriate place of attention, the appropriate place of interest, and we've put it on the object. And we have forgotten, to an enormous cost, because it inhibits our enlightenment, we have forgotten that it's not the object which matters, it's not the revealed that's significant. It's, my God, this is which is revealing. Not only do we do that with our daily life, we focus on an object, this man, this woman, this child, this place, this person, this book, this subject, this job, this career, Whatever, all those things that we focus on. But we do it with our meditations as well. We become dedicated meditators, dedicated meditators who have a big interest in what? In the relationship to the object. So the object becomes the breath. The object becomes the feeling and the emotion. The object becomes inner peace. The object becomes loving kindness. The object becomes listening to the sounds, etc., it may be, and it is, of course, considerably more subtle 
but it's still the same issue. This is an object of interest with which I have made a connection to. It matters to me because it helps me to become a better person. And what is a better person? What is the becoming of a better person? <laughs> what is this? This becoming of a better person is having a better relationship with the objects. And therefore we are transfixed with the becoming. And even in, in the becoming, in becoming a better person, in walking the path, in going along the way, or whatever language that you and I might mean, it still is a becoming of consciousness in relationship to what is perceived. I become a better person because I'm more in touch with my feelings. I become a better person because I'm more clear about my thoughts. I become a better person because I'm having some more insights. I become a better person because I'm bringing more love and kindness and compassion out of myself. I'm still becoming. I'm still caught. There's no liberation through becoming a better person. It's a hard truth. So the perception, the movement, the engagement, the contact with, the exploration of that takes place uh, first. Then suddenly things start to be, look, have, to, have to, if one is serious about liberation, have to start looking differently. So differently is that I start to take out the confidence in a healthy way here, I start to take out the confidence that by doing this, this, this and this, I will become a better person. I have to take it out to such a degree that I have no hope. I have to take it out to such a degree that it's cut, that I've got no tomorrow to become anything. <laughs> and then I'm stripped, as a human being, I'm stripped down to this bareness because I'm sick of becoming because I know that in all becoming, there is fear. Fear that I won't be making any more progress. Fear that it will all go wrong. Fear that it, I'll get stuck. Fear that it's two steps forward, three steps backwards. Fear that it's not worth putting all this time and energy into. Fear that it's getting better. And then it gets better, it might get worse right after that, or whatever. Fear lurks its shadow in all fields of becoming. And one is tired of the fear, tired of the waves of it, tired of, of it arising again and again because it's inseparably wrapped up with any becoming. And as human beings, we have often ceased to be, understand what it is to be human being. We become human becomings to the terrible cost of our existence. So we look and say, okay, I'm... I'm I'm not bothered with development anymore. I'm not going to bother with becoming and, and, and all of that. I, I've done that. I've tried that. I've explored all that. I've spent enough time in all the ways to do that. Now I've got just this. Yet I'm still feeling as a human being living my life on this earth. I still feel that there is this consciousness in relationship to objects. And I can't help but be in that connection, in that relationship. Because I can't know the consciousness without the object. I can't have an object and have no consciousness because I wouldn't know it was an object. And I can't have a consciousness and not have an object because I wouldn't know it's consciousness. 
I think, my God, I'm absolutely trapped in this bloody mess. So something goes on, the movement goes on, and as it were, the object, is important here, is confirmed by the consciousness. And correspondingly, the consciousness, being conscious, is confirmed by the object. I know I'm conscious because there's an object. I know there's consciousness because there's an object. I know there's an object because there's consciousness. I can't separate them. I can't make them two independent, separate, unique events. Yet, I'm told there is realisation, there is great discovery, there is liberation, and most important of all, there is non-duality. But my consciousness doesn't know it because it only knows the object, and there's my duality. And that movement backwards and forwards affecting each other between the two, and I say, wow, is that my life as a human being, to live in that? So is it possible? With all the helpfulness, usefulness, short-term benefits of meditation practice, etc. To take some of this priority, this focusing of the attention off the object. That the object in the scheme of things matters less to us. It's the beginning of genuine renunciation. The object or objects, meditation or anything, matter less to us because the object does not know itself as an object. I, the consciousness, confirm it's an object. I look at this paper. This paper doesn't say to me I'm an object. Consciousness says it. So somehow I've got, I'm living in this world with this, and I say, okay, I'm going to take my attention off the object. I'm going to get some sense. I'm trying to get some sense, even though the objects were Flurry around in, within and without. What is this extraordinary element of consciousness that the light which reveals is somehow more profound, shall we say, more significant than that which is revealed? And my great mistake as a human being is to believe that the revealed, called the object, is more important than that which reveals it. Hence I had the nightmare of this existence and the suffering that goes with it made a misperception, a, a fundamental, serious error of judgment because of the force of conditioning. Nothing else could do it. Then say, what is this consciousness which is the light that reveals, the great revealer? And if the consciousness begins to soften, shall we, sorry, the object, begin to soften, and yes, some sights are coming, sounds are coming, some thoughts are coming, feelings are coming, but well, what's that revealing? going to leave me in a place of some stillness. It has to. I have to feel still. Because I haven't got the urge anymore. I haven't got the desire. I'm not trying to get rid of desire. I'm not trying to cut it off. I'm not trying to be a nice Buddhist or anything. I just don't have the desire to go to the object because it's not what it's about. My consciousness is making the object. It doesn't make itself. It establishes it as an object. So if I'm, I'm new, my desire to do that is I'm losing the desire because I sense I keep going there 
I'm blinding, I can't see. Therefore, I let the world of objects, sight, sounds, feelings, thoughts, etc., fade, drop. They won't disappear completely, but fade, drop. So, what is this consciousness? What is this extraordinary thing? Which is the light which reveals, which enlightens us. And then we're left in a place of stillness, and we're in a place of steadiness. And when you and I are in a place of stillness and steadiness, we're very close to coming home. We're very close to truth. Because truth is steady and nothing will ever shake it. Not your life, nor my life. Not what happens or what doesn't happen. Not what we become or what we don't become. It doesn't make a scrap of difference to truth. Everything else can be changing and changing and changing and changing. Truth does not know how to change. Whether this world is around or whether it isn't won't make one scrap of difference to truth. Truth is steady. And so if I'm steady as a human being, not bound and lost and caught up in objects because the dance of change, my consciousness which keeps changing, it's so ephemeral, it's so unreliable, it's so utterly insecure, and I can't depend on it anywhere, either inwardly or outwardly. Well, what is that that's telling me all this? What's, what's shyness? It's an extraordinary thing. Wow, this is what's going on. And then the interest in consciousness. There's a steadiness. Because the desire for us to go to what is out there, so to speak, or within, begins to drop away. Then just consciousness. That will leave me, is leaving me, as a human being, in a place of stillness. And I have a sense, I can't go anywhere. I can't go anywhere. Because if I go anywhere, I'm going to something. If I'm going to something, I'm back in the imprisonment of fascination with object. I've got nowhere to go. And so I just have to rest in this. And I don't know what it is. I don't know what it's, I'm resting in. I'm calling it consciousness, but I don't actually know. Because the consciousness, this is important, the consciousness is the absence of everything else. It can't be a sight, that's an object. It can't be a sound, that's an object. It can't be a smell, it can't be a taste, it can't be a touch. It can't be a feeling, it can't be a thought, it can't be a state of mind, it can't be an experience. Because they're all objects I can look at and talk about and think about and reflect on and write about. So this consciousness is the absence of all that. And it's in this utter absence it reveals presence. It's empty of all of that which is known to me. And I'm very still. The importance of the so-called here and now as an object, it's small change. Sights and sounds coming and going, so what? What's this revealing this? It's em- what is revealing all of that? The revealer, the consciousness, is empty of all the revealed. And somewhere in all of this, something's moving, something's waking me up. 
something's getting me out of the imprisonment. Something's getting me out of the idea that the world is subject and object. But it's not actually the truth. And if it's not the truth, God, I've been living in a fiction. Because if the world is not the subject and object and that dynamic, if I am not the object, feelings, thoughts, whatever it might be, emotions, sensations, body, if I am not that because they're all objects, what's happened to death? Only an object can have a death. Only an object can change. Only an object can move in time. Only an object can become. And if I am not an object, which I am not, then I can't have a death. I am empty of the object. My true nature is empty of the object. Yet, being empty of the consciousness, being empty of the object, and therefore is not an object, can't know death. How could it? So my true nature can't know death. I can only know it, feel it, fear it, if I land on an object called feelings and thoughts, body. shift of being, <clears throat> a shift in looking, a shift in, uh, in uh, rea- realization. And so it seems like that the, the world, called subject-object, is just a human agreement. Since everything doesn't say it is an object, since something else has to come in to fix it as such, then I acknowledge this process, but there's a silence and a stillness. And in the silence and stillness, kind of the world, so-called, so kind of falls into place. Everything kind of rests in its own nature. Everything in the stillness and being out of the fixation of subject-object and all the problems and pleasures that go with it, that everything, in fact, is extraordinarily silent. Everything is resting in a silence. And when we're not so bound up with subject-object and the force of wanting that goes with it, something between so-called subject and object, something intimate is sensed. Some kind of web is sensed. Some kind of non-difference is sensed. 
that what one is participating in is somehow revealed everywhere. And it doesn't have any death to it. How could it? Only that which I grasp on and make an object can have death. But I don't grasp onto it. And there's no content for the consciousness. It's none of that which is born and dying moment to moment. This is coming home. What's unusual and rather hard to explain in all of this is why does this have such a significant impact and influence on the organism? It's always a little hard to understand. Why is it that one who understands the non-duality of things, truly understands, truly understands the fundamental non-difference of all things, truly understand that the consciousness and the object are interfacing with each other and they appear different, but really seen clearly, those differences drop away. Why is it when we understand all the... I'm not an object, and uh, consciousness is empty of objects. It's free of objects. It doesn't have a form to it. The consciousness doesn't have a subject to it. That's why it allows everything to pass through it. How is it that when that understanding is there, and it's clear in the moment, it's clear, not meditating on it, it's clear in the moment, It does something extraordinary to the human being that simultaneously one has understood the true nature of things, has seen things how things really are, and simultaneously it brings out love. Why does it do that? Why does it bring out love out of a human being who knows this realisation? who has shed real light in this world, and the only outcome for it is the love. Unstoppable. Because the love is the emotion, is the one emotion which keeps connecting. It's the only confirmation of this realisation of the subject-object dynamic, of that consciousness is empty of all of that, therefore it embraces all things. Everything comes through the consciousness. It embraces all things. And because one sees it so clearly, something goes on inside the organism which says the only way this seems to be naturally communicated and confirmed is with the love. Because the love is the unifying principle, the unifying passion, which reveals the liberation. And without the... And where there's the liberation, there's the truth. And where there's the truth, there's the love. It's the confirmation of this profound sense of the great web of interconnectedness. And somehow or other, we have to realize our emptiness. We have to realize there is nothing of consciousness. It's empty of. 
and that empty of allows all things to travel through it. We have to realize the emptiness because it makes everything possible. We have to realize our true nature is emptiness because it makes, allows everything to be revealed. And because it's our true nature and it's the, and, and it's the nature of emptiness, emptiness is not affected by anything. Therefore, it doesn't know death. Because the consciousness hasn't landed on the object and concluded the object is who I am. So truth and emptiness and its natural expression as love is who we are. May all beings see into the nature of things. <coughs> May all beings live with love. May all beings abide in the truth of emptiness. Let's have a couple of quiet minutes. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.